0: Good morning. Welcome to uh, worship here in the auditorium at Third Church. So good to be with you. If you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, if you don't have a Bible but would like one, there's a whole cart of them right behind the sound desk at the back of the room. You're welcome to get up right now and go grab one. And uh, Preston, if you could bring up slide number 4. We're going to be focused uh, really on that first passage, 4, 8, and 9. And then we're going to spend some time going through a little bit more of the book of Philippians this morning. We have been working through a series and uh, I'll be wrapping it up next week uh, on how joyful people think. How to think about what we think. And we've been using Philippians chapter four verses eight, I'm sorry four really through nine. So let's just go ahead and read them once again this week as we get into this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Anybody anxious this morning? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So we're gonna talk about excellence today. If you look down there in verse eight, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. So in my, my uh weekly, daily vocation, I spend a lot of time in corporate office buildings. And there's really not a corporate building of a client that I've walked into in my career that doesn't have some kind of a a plaque or a poster or a a sign on a wall. Sometimes it's, as you enter, a lot of times it's in the boardroom or in a conference room that says, this is our mission. This is who we are. Every business has a mission statement. So I walked into this uh, business, and when it was my first time, walked into the corporate office building, and we had, this, this business sells widgets to electronic components and little fuses and switches and connectors and wires to companies that manufacture things. In fact, uh, Vermeer here in Pella is a, is a pretty significant client of this particular company. And I walked in for the first time. We had just completed a survey of this business's customers. And asked those customers not only about this business but also uh, a bunch of other competitors in their marketplace. And as we were unpacking the results, one of the things that clearly came out is that their customers said, yeah, your customer service stinks, basically is what they said, really low numbers. And we, we dug into some more, and, and the, one of the board members that was in the presentation looked up at the wall that said, our mission, excellent customer service. And one of the board members looked at the CEO, pointed up at the wall and said, yeah, we're not doing that, yeah. So I spend a lot of my time at work trying to understand what is excellent with regard to customer satisfaction and customer service. And then trying to help companies actually deliver on the promise. So excellence is a big buzzword in my business and in my industry. What is excellent? And I want you to notice in verse 8, it says, if. And I want you to circle that. If you're taking notes today, circle that. If anything is excellent. We love excellence, don't we? We love things to be excellent. We, we, we really, in fact, we go out to Yelp or Google or Amazon, and we look to see who got, what got five stars. Because I want, I want whatever I buy to be excellent, high quality. We love it. Last week I was in the sanctuary and one of the things that I uh, tried to unpack last week is that what we're really talking about in this entire series is that there is a way that the world does things. So there is a way that the world defines excellence. And then there is a way that God wants us as Jesus' followers and disciples to do things. And there really are two different definitions of excellence. Now, let's go back to what the the word here in the Greek is when it says excellent, okay? Go back to uh, slide three if you would, Preston. Thank you. Erete is the Greek word that is used here. And it means moral excellence, virtue, perfection, outstanding goodness is kind of the, the quality that we're talking about. What's interesting is you study this word is that it was a buzzword for the Greeks and the Romans. In the time of Paul, in the time of Jesus, erite was something that they attached to everything. It was kind of like, it was funny, because we were joking with some friends this week, but when I thought about the word excellent, the first thing that came to mind was Bill and Ted. Anybody else think of it? Excellent, yeah. And it was kind of that buzzword back in those days. Everything was excellent. And in fact, in, in Greco military, erite specifically had to do with the excellence that happens when a soldier, when a warrior becomes really good in battle and really good in combat and really good at killing people. It's erite. There was an excellence that they, they put that word on. And, in fact, it was, they used it for everything. It's very common. But what's interesting is that in the Greek translation of the entire Scripture, the word is only used ten times. Six times in the Old Testament, and in each one of those six times, erite, excellence, is attributed to God. Four times in the New Testament it is used. Twice, talking about God and his excellence. Twice, talking about what we should be as followers of Christ. Today's verse being one of them. So why is, why is it that the world, that the Greeks and the Romans just used it for everything, and they, they just, everything was they used it all the time, it was a buzzword, but the biblical writers, they only used it rarely. And I believe that the difference is between, because the way the world defines excellence and the way that God then defines excellence are two different things. For, you know, when you think about what is excellent, From a godly perspective or a worldly perspective, excellence in the worldly perspective is something that you can pretty much achieve. You know, you put in enough time. In fact, there was a book a number of years ago uh, by a guy who basically said that if you do anything for 10,000 hours, (laughs) you become excellent at it. And so one of his examples was the Beatles. And he says, well, you think the Beatles became this big thing overnight, but the the reality is was for years, they were playing in this basement cavern bar in Germany, and they played every night for hours and hours and hours and hours. And by the time they broke out and became the Beatles as we know them, they had already put in their 10,000 hours playing together. And so it wasn't a surprise. And you think about really the way we approach it, and it's easy to fall into this trap of saying, well, even, even being a follower, there is just it's, just, it's about putting in the time, and it's about uh, making the effort. And in fact, let's go, uh, let's go to slide 13, if you would press. And, and I put this on the whiteboard a couple of weeks ago, and I had it in, uh, last week in the sanctuary. Remember the concentric circles? Well. Notice that, again, in, at the core is our heart and our soul and emotives. And then we have this will to think what we want to think about what we're going to do. We have our emotions that are our feeling center. And then we have our words and behavior on the outside. What the world says is if you just work on that 10,000 hours from the outside in, you can become excellent at almost anything. What God is saying is that if you allow me to transform your heart, you are going to will yourself to live the way I'm asking you to live. Think about the things I want you to think. You are going to translate and handle your emotions based on what you know about me in your heart. Not just letting them rule you and then your words and behavior are going to flow out of what you know about your emotions, what you know about what you've been thinking about, about what you have willed yourself to do, because it comes back to a transformed heart by Christ. Okay? Kristen, let's go back to, um, if you would, number eight. So the things that are excellent in God's economy in God's definition. First of all, it's going to be based and grounded on God's word. We are a word and spirit church. Therefore, what is, how God defines excellence is right here. Okay, and then the next slide if you would, Preston. Then the application of excellence should be Holy Spirit empowered. It's not, just, it's not just something that I, I will myself to do, 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 and then I become excellent at it. It is also empowered by the Holy Spirit. There is something that God is doing at work in me to change my life, to change the way I think about things, to change the way I respond to my emotions, to change the way I speak and act when I am with others. Uh, this week, uh, I want to thank uh, Kevin and the the team, uh, executive team, it, you may have seen in the Stay Connected uh, uh, email this week, that uh, for the last five years, I have been serving uh, as teaching leader here at Third Church, and we've really been through a season where it's kind of, um, we tried something that nobody in my, that I know of, has tried before, where we took years and we just tried to develop anybody who was recognized that maybe they have a gift in teaching and preaching, we wanted to give them an opportunity to develop those gifts. So you're a big part of that here in the auditorium because this was the place where everybody kind of got a chance to cut their teeth. And so both lay people that aren't on staff and as well as some of our staff members, I had the blessing and the honor of just working with them, helping them uh, to develop that gift. And we're entering a new season. And we're kind of moving away from that paradigm, and the executive team has has decided to, it's a different season right now. That's awesome. Uh, Ecclesiastes: the season for everything under the sun. Uh, I want you to know number two things. Number one, it's not going to change the fact that I'm going to continue to be teaching, okay? And number two, it doesn't change the fact that uh, with with Kevin and the executive team's blessing, I I pray that I will continue to provide sort of a Pastoral presence, if you will, here in the auditorium. So that's not going to change either. But I wanted, I mentioned this this morning because I learned a lot in my, year, in my five years of, of leading the teaching team, coaching people. And here's where this connects. If the 10,000 hour principle of excellence, Applies. Then somebody who's a teacher or preacher can just put in the time, and become an excellent teacher or preacher. I had my first sermon was when I I gave when I was fourteen years old. When I was uh, when I was fifteen through eighteen, I was preaching regularly with this high school gospel team that traveled around the state, and so people sometimes come to me and they'll kind of go, oh, you know what, what makes you a great preacher? What's that? Because all that training and acting and drama and theater. And in fact, Keith Kerver once told me that there's, there's somebody, who said, uh, there's somebody that always refers to you as that actor. <laughs> When's that actor gonna be preaching next? <laughs> and there is something inside of me that that kind of bristles at that. So what you're saying is, is that, is that the gift of preaching is really just about 10,000 hours. It's about putting in the time and and learning it. And there is some truth to that. I mean, obviously, I I watched everyone on the teaching team grow and develop and learn, and that was awesome. But here's the thing. Every Sunday that I get up to preach, I acknowledge to God in my prayer that there is nothing of any eternal significance that is going to happen in this room if the Holy Spirit is not in it. My words, how I say them, it's, again, it, it, go by it, sky blonde, man. It's just BS if the Holy Spirit is not empowering and transforming and making that word come alive. So one of the things that I taught the teachers as, as we continued to work together over the last few years is, look, look, that's, that's the thing that you can't create. It's the thing that 10,000 hours is not going to do for you. And that is, is God going to be in it? And are you yielding yourself to the reality of that? That it has to be a demonstration of Holy Spirit power. And here's what I would also say, as we think about the world. The world, right now, is in a really crazy place. Can we agree on that? I just read an interview this morning with a gentleman who actually is a uh, expert in evolutionary understanding of history. And one of the things that he's done is scientifically, he has studied what, what happens in revolutions. And one of the things that he said was really interesting. He said, I'm really scared for 2024. Because our culture, he said, is showing all of the signs that preceded all the French Revolution in the 1700s. The Civil War in the 1860s. There is a pattern to how societies and cultures collapse and fall into violence and revolution. And again, he said, I am not a prophet, I'm a scientist, and I've studied these things from a historical perspective. And he said, we're not done. And from a non-biblical, non-Christian perspective, he basically said, get ready, because things could get a lot worse. Now, let's say that's true. What our world needs now are followers of Jesus Christ who are living with God's excellence. They need to see in us a different way of thinking, a different way of speaking, a different way of living that contrasts with how the world might even define excellence. You with me? Let's go, Preston, will you go to um, slide number 14? I used this last week as well and I wanna, I wanna bring it back up here. So last week in my message, I went back to the four levels that you talked about in this room a lot, the way the world works is top-down control, power, and domination. Even in Christian culture, it is easy to get into the paradigm of saying, well, the way we need to make an impact on the world is by getting political power, controlling the politics, controlling the laws, and top-down domination through legislation and execution. That's the world's paradigm. We did the whole book of Acts a few years ago, and what we learned is that Jesus' paradigm is from the bottom up, subversion by the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Where all of a sudden, instead of hate my enemies, I'm loving them and blessing those who persecute me and praying for them. Instead of saying, no, I am going to condemn you for your sin, it's to say, no, you know what? I'm gonna love you in your sin and I am going to extend to you the grace that God has extended to me and I wanna show you a different way. Instead of saying, we're going to do this and make the rules and control, we're gonna say, I have no power and control. So I'm just gonna relinquish that to the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? And as I subversively operate in the world with love and kindness and gentleness and generosity, I begin to make a change in my community, and my circles of influence. And if we're all doing that, that's how the first century church changed the Roman Empire. That's how they changed it. And the Roman Empire tried to stop them, tried to persecute them, tried to push them down. These Christians, they're changing, the, they're, they're upsetting the whole social system. Why? Because, well, They're actually taking care of the poor. They're living with lepers. The women, orphans, outcasts, they bring them in and they feed them and they give them housing and they take care of them. And immigrants come in and they're not having places that are taking care of the people who are in need. And it's just subversive. That's what we have to go to if we are going to have an influence in the world, whatever is coming down the way. So, let's, uh, press let me go to um, slide six, if you would, please. So, I would like think, ponder, practice. Promises and, and go ahead, just leave this up for a little bit, Preston. Um, so, how do we define excellence in God's standard, God's economy, in God's world? Well, I went through the Book of Philippians with the idea of saying, from what Paul wrote to the Philippians throughout this entire book, where do I see God's definition? of excellence. So I just wanna point out, I could, I could preach for another two hours, not gonna do that. I just wanna show you a few highlights. One of the things that's interesting, look at the beginning of uh, chapter one, verse three. Remember that as Paul writes this, he is living under house arrest. He is in chains, living under house arrest under the Roman Empire. He can't leave the house. He's got Roman centurions guarding him 24-7. And he says, three, verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. I always pray for you. And then he goes down to verse seven, since I have you in my heart. Then go down to verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So let me ask you this. Do you think that you would rejoice in prison? How many of us would sit in prison and go, I'm so glad I'm here? What is Paul thinking about? He's thinking about the Philippians. He has them in his heart. He's thinking about them. He's praying for them. He's rejoicing for them. He's concerned for them. He He is constantly thinking, pondering, praying for them. So here's my question. Who is in your heart? Who do you have in your heart? And First answer is you have to go. Oh well, my Wendy and my family, great. Even sinners do that. Oh well, my my friend group, my kind of inner circle people, and people here in the auditorium, great. Even sinners do that. So what is different about being excellent compared to the world? That's what Jesus said. Go to the Sermon on the Mount. And I found it interesting, it goes down, verse 17. Paul has, there's these people running around preaching uh, all the time I mean, there's a, in, the, in Christianity, and some of them didn't like Paul, and some of them preached against Paul. He Said the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. In other words, I don't pretend, I'm not gonna go fight them, I'm not gonna go yell at them, I'm not gonna complain about them, I'm not gonna belittle them, I'm not gonna speak out against them, I'm not even gonna name them, you know who they are. And guess what, they need to answer to God, hey, if they're preaching Christ, they don't like me, fine. As long as Christ is preached, I'm just gonna, he's basically giving up control. I am not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, watch my reputation. It's up to them. Now, verse 29, go to verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The way God thinks in the kingdom economy, suffering is often part of the program. How are we going to handle that suffering? How are we going to deal with it? Are we going to deal with it with complaints and grumbling, thinking that there's something Terribly wrong? Or are we going to do what Paul does? Say, I rejoice in what God is doing, whatever he's doing. So now skip down to verse chapter two, verse four. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul has just spent the entire first chapter saying, Philippians, I love you. I have you in my heart. I am praying for you. I have joy in you. I think about you all the time. I am concerned about you. And he's sitting in prison. Paul has just exemplified in the entire first chapter what he is asking them to do. Value others above yourself. All right, skip down to verse <laughs> down to uh verse 14 okay no sorry, 13 for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose question what is God's purpose for you do you know do you know what God wants to do through you Do you know the purpose that God has for you in your vocation, in your neighborhood, where he has put you in life, in the circumstances that you're in? What is God's purpose in where you are right now in life? Because I tell you, each one of us plays a part in this whole kingdom. Each one of us plays a part in this bottom up, change the world through kindness and gentleness and compassion and love and generosity every one of us who are a disciple of Christ. So what's your good purpose? Then he goes on, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now there's some godly excellence for you. Anybody grumble or complain this week? Yeah. Yeah. I love what he says, he goes on. He says, um, that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped, and crooked generation, warped and crooked generation, then you will be able to shine like the sun to the people who are in darkness. So here's my question for you and me. At work, in the organizations you work in, the places that you volunteer, and the human systems that you operate in, what is warped and crooked? What's warped and crooked? You know it. You know what doesn't work. That boss who just screams and yells at people all the time. How do I, in that warped and crooked environment, bring subversive kindness and gentleness and encouragement and love? I was on site with a couple of examples. Site with a client years ago, and there was this guy that I just noticed because he worked in the customer service uh, contact center, and one of the things you noticed about him is he had hair down to here, which was, I mean, that's long even for a hippie, man. I mean, it was all the way down to here. And I also noticed as I operated over over the years with him that he was always smiling, he was always in good mood. He was always greeting me. Come to find out, in this rather toxic environment of this contact center. The reason that he has hair down to here is because he had a friend from high school who went to jail. And he wanted to to be a witness to Christ, to his friend who didn't know Christ, who's going to prison. And he told his friend, I am not cutting my hair until you are out of prison. And when you, the day you get out of prison, I am going to meet you there, and we'll go to a barber shop, and I'll cut off my hair. Until then, I remember you every day, every day that I comb my hair. Every day I put it up in a ponytail. It reminds me, because you are in my heart. Whoo! Not bad. I had another client who uh, is part of another different company, also really toxic culture. And I, I had the opportunity, she came to know Christ in a movie theater. Literally, the Holy Spirit came into her life watching a movie. She started bawling, and she's describing it to me, and she's just like, I just don't know. All of a sudden, I just, God was in me. And God just changed her life around. And so, a couple of months later, um, she's running this contact center in one city, and there's another lady running a contact center in another city. And staffing, right? COVID. She. Everyone's trying to find staff. Nobody finds staff. All of a sudden, her staff is full. In a, in a tough business environment, she's got people filling the seats. And her colleague goes, "How are you doing this? How are you getting people to?" And she goes, "I pray. I pray." That's, that's, that's it, I pray and God bless me with people. That's shining <laughs> in a place that's warped and crooked. Man, I got lots of those stories and it's good. So we need to pursue excellence. What is warped and crooked? How can I, be a, how can I make a difference? in this world could go on. I would encourage you this week, if you haven't done it, go through the book of Philippians. What is excellent in God's definition? How can I show excellence by the way that I work, by the way I speak, by the the way I act, the way I respond to my difficulties? That's what the world needs to see. If there is any excellence, it says, if, if. Because we're not talking about the world's excellence. We're talking about something very different. One last story and then um, close. Rasmussen, who wrote the book, How Joyful People Think, shares the story in a chapter that was today's Word about a guy who worked as a broker in a very, again, crooked, awful, wretched environment, business environment, and he noticed that he was, this guy was really succeeding in business and seemed to be doing really well in a pretty cutthroat uh, business environment, and so Rasmussen asked his disciple, how are you doing that? And he said this, he said, every day when I go into the office, I basically envision a bubble around me. I live in this bubble, and it's like, kind of like a force field. And the only, t- the only people allowed in that bubble is Jesus and me. And as I'm sitting at my desk, as I'm interacting, I have a place. I have this little bubble. And he goes, I know, it's just, an, it's just a vision I have in my head. But he said, I pictured myself in this bubble, and I find refuge in it. I find God's presence in it. I just allow myself to be okay. Jesus is right here in the bubble with me. When things come at me from coworkers and nice, it's like, okay, let it bounce off the bubble. <laughs> and I'm going to live in this bubble with what? The promises of God. I love that. I love that picture. Can you do that this week? Can you make a difference? I'm going to ask the. Uh, Worship team to come on up. The, uh, we're going to have a couple worship songs, and then we're going to have, uh, we've got the elders and deacons who are going to be uh, doing communion over here. We're going to have uh, prayer ministers if anybody needs prayer to pray. And I just, this morning, as we think about Exodus, I just like to spend some time as we worship asking God, how can I from the inside out, exemplify your excellence in my life this week, okay? And as we we're praying, if there's something that during examine, time to get right, you know, maybe it's time to have some prayer. If there's something that you just need to say, hey, I need to hit the reset button and do some things differently in life, come have, let somebody pray over you, lay hands on you and bless that. Um, Come have communion and let Jesus fill your bubble, all right, as we pray and worship. God, thank you for this time together. I just pray that you would help us to be excellent in your definition of excellence. Help us to live differently in a world that so desperately needs to see love demonstrated in sacrificial and real ways. Lord, help us to reveal you in the darkness, not because of some power or domination or control, but through servant-hearted love and grace and mercy and generosity. Change us, Lord, from the inside out. Make us the people you want us to be. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.